Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. And then there were three. So long to the Phoenix Suns. First team eliminated from the semifinals as the Nuggets go on the road and walloped them. Good old-fashioned beatdown. And you saw it happening, and you saw the Suns just accept it. I don't know. I didn't like the way that one looked. I was pretty disappointed, honestly. Pretty disappointed. And maybe that's not fair. It's it's quite conceivable that that's not fair. But I, I didn't get to watch that much of the basketball last night just due to other things going on, doctor's appointments, chasing children, etc. And I, I, I turned on that Denver-Phoenix game, and like around the end of the first quarter, it was pretty close, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember the exact score at the end of the first quarter, but I think it was like Nuggets. No, that's not right. I think I turned it on at like maybe the three or four minute mark of the first quarter, and it was... 24 to 23 or or 23 to 22 or something like that. It was basically a dead heat. And then, and what I don't remember, oh, okay, yeah. So it happened over the next, like, three minutes of the basketball game. KCP hit back-to-back three-pointers. And I think the Nuggets went from up one to up seven or from up two to up eight or something like that. And I thought, okay, we're going to get a Suns timeout. We'll get a little push. And instead, Phoenix came down took like two or three rushed bad shots in a row and the Nuggets just came back and owned them at the other end there was an Aaron Gordon dunk there was a Jokic running sort of like a leaning hook where he just like put his body into the defender and flipped it in over their head that dude's amazing and then all of a sudden it was a double digit game and it was just over it was really weird you don't see those kinds of road avalanches very often where a road team is just storming and the home team is just kind of like yeah okay panic button we're done that's what happened it was like two buckets panic button done and the game was over within the next like six minutes of game action and i didn't watch it after that it was on in the background here i saw i saw the score but Watched about five minutes of that game, and it was the five minutes where Phoenix just wore it, and it was done. I thought the Suns would play better. I really did. Uh, I mentioned that I had no idea what was going to go on with the total in that game, whether it was going to be like, okay, if Booker shoots well, it goes over. If he doesn't, it goes under. I think it stayed under by like two points, and Booker had a bad game. First one, way under. That was, if you guys recall from yesterday's podcast, one of the two much stronger leans. The other lean was I thought Phoenix would compete. That was way off. But the Boston-Philly under was one that I think we were, we were pretty, pretty good on as far as the handicap goes. Because it was like you looked at that game and you went, okay, well, Boston's been kind of half-assing it on defense for the first five games of this series. They got no choice right now but to play some actual D. Now, does this set us up for something in the future? So I'm working backwards on today's podcast. We're going to talk about the playoffs first. We're going to talk about some uh, Yahoo Rank stuff second because, honestly, the playoffs get me more fired up right now. I'm really enjoying the NBA postseason this year. So I just wanted to launch into it today, 
and it kind of helps get my juices going for the podcast. I'm a little tired these days, guys. I've been dealing with some uh, more significant GI stuff. I don't know if you guys saw the tweet I put out today. It's very real. I don't, I don't joke about these things. First thing I did after I uh, dropped the kids off for school, or we, we alternate, my wife and I alternate which kid we drop off. First thing I did after I dropped off our younger kid at school was I got home, got the dog ready to go on a walk. We're out on a walk. I get a call from the office of the GI, schedule a colonoscopy. That was how my day started. Then you get the prep instructions. Oh, no. So I'm feeling a little bit, I don't know, nervous, blue, combination thereof. I needed to get this show going with the thing that I knew was going to get my juices pumping. Hopefully not the GI type of juices pumping. The adrenaline. The joy of yelling into a microphone with the expectation that somebody out there is going to be listening, but not actually knowing for sure whether that's the case. So that's why we're talking playoffs first today. Uh, Not even saying hello, actually. Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. The end of week five of the fantasy offseason, offseason show number 25. We can officially scratch a quarter into the prison wall. I've been slowly digging my way out with a spoon behind a poster. I should have had a joke ready for that. Who's the poster of? It's got to be Al Horford, right? Or Marvin Williams, if I got it a few years ago. <laughs> the old man squad poster, digging my way out of this prison cell. 25 off-season episodes in the books. We're rumbling along mid-May. Look at that. How about that, everybody? It's already mid-May. We're shooting along. Nothing can stop us now. I'm Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Welcome to the show. Here's what's coming up as far as the playoffs go. So Denver's done, or uh, Denver is through, I should say. Denver's done with Phoenix. Phoenix is done en total. They are now out of the playoffs. They can retool. Uh, The report, first report this morning, is that the Suns are going to be attempting to try to move Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. But we all kind of knew, and you can't get as much when everybody knows, because Ayton has shown himself to be a bit of a whiner. Seems like he's a little bit of a pouty type. And that's fine. Maybe that's just needs to get off the Suns. Perhaps that goes away in a new location. That'd be cool. Some team might be able to unlock DeAndre Ayton. We're already talking about what sort of fantasy value he might have if you drop him on a team where they actually look to him more often. And then Chris Paul, who this year kind of hit the, the cresting point of old man squad versus just old man. I guess you could pronounce that a number of ways. Just old man or just old man. So I don't know that there's a place he ends up where his value would be any better than it was in Phoenix, but maybe he's in a prove-it mode um, as much as that can be a situation for somebody who's, what is he going to be, 37 next year, 38, something like that. So Phoenix hanging in the balance. Their their team build, you know, Durant's going to be there, you know, Booker's going to be there, but everything else is kind of up in the air. And perhaps that clears out some fantasy value for somebody. This is suddenly a more, I don't want to say more interesting, because the Suns were an interesting fantasy team. They had three, four, five guys that had value at times this year. But it could be different guys. That's what the Suns are looking at. We'll do their offseason breakdown in a few weeks, most likely, on this podcast. So Denver lies in wait. They will take on the winner of Warriors-Lakers. Lakers, a three-point home favorite which is around what it's been for them 
in home games. So if you're thinking Anthony Davis, blah, 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 that uh, the line is indicating not just that he's going to play, but that he's generally healthy. Because if you got to go back and look through this series, the Warriors have been the favored team on a neutral site. That's not to say that they're a favored team anywhere the teams play. And the line obviously bounces back and forth by about eight or nine points, depending on home road in this one. But like in Golden State, Warriors were uh, an eight point. That thing closed as Warriors by eight on their court. Go back to Tuesday's game. It closed Lakers at about two, two and a half. Previous game on Saturday was Lakers by three. I think they played on, what, Tuesday or Wednesday before that. Warriors by four, interestingly enough, in this in the series opener. Um, and that was one where you knew the Lakers had a big rest edge, and then they stole that game on the road. So now that everybody's got the same rest situation in that series, the, the line tends to be about an eight, eight and a half, nine point swing. Warriors are in the six, seven point favorite. Lakers in the two to three range. So nothing weird about the line there. I think there's an expectation that the Lakers close it out. This is mirroring exactly what they did to Memphis. Warriors are a better team than the Grizzlies, though. At least certainly more battle-tested. Total's been coming down. I'm still waiting to see the Lakers come up with a proper counter to the Steph Curry pick-and-roll, which the Warriors are running almost every time down the court. Now, admittedly, what that does on the Warriors' side is it takes some of their guys out of the mix. Klay Thompson hasn't been able to get a rhythm. Jordan Poole has looked pretty terrible for most of this series. The guys that get space off of movement have suffered because movement is lessened when it's just Steph starting the play almost every single time. The guys that have benefited from this are the guys that can make plays either in the short roll or on a switch, which has been Draymond. He had a huge game. Andrew Wiggins had a big game. That was something I mentioned a few days ago on the pod. That was the way that that game goes near to an over, was Wiggins or Poole having a giant ball game. And Wiggins, it was Wiggins and Draymond, actually, that had giant ball games in Golden State in San Francisco. I, you know, if AD is healthy, that's the big question mark. I know they're saying he's fine. It's hard for me to believe that he's 100% fine after... Watching the way he was sort of, you know, they kept cutting him on the bench with his head in his hands. He got hit in the side of the head, pretty close to the eye. You wondered if maybe there was some sort of eye situation going on. I mean, if he really is 100% healthy, then okay, all of this stuff makes sense. But I do, I mean, I've got to think that he's not full aggression AD. And that worries me if you're the Lakers. But they also know that this is their chance to kind of wipe things out. What do they do? Do they go to switching early in the game? Because if you're switching, and you know what the Warriors want to do. We're getting into the, the nuts and bolts here a little bit. The Warriors are trying to bring AD away from the bucket. Steph Curry even said as much in the post-game press conference. It's not a secret right now. Basically, they're just putting him in every pick-and-roll action. Whoever the Lakers put AD on, that's the guy setting the screen for Steph. Now, the Lakers have tried a couple of things here. They're going to chase Steph his man is going to go over the screen to try to keep him from pulling up and taking an open three-pointer. You don't want Steph shooting open threes all game because he could hit 14 of them. But what that's done is it's allowed the screener to roll because AD has to step up farther than he'd want to to also once again contest a Steph three-pointer. So they get the ball to the screener. He's rolling. He gets the free throw line pretty much unabated. Someone has to come over, secondary offender for the Lakers. Somebody's coming in to cut that off, and then that player, whoever that might be, 
has a pretty open lane to the rim. You saw it a lot of times. Warriors are getting pretty good layups off of this. Now, if the Lakers go to a straight switch, AD has the ability to cut off that pass a little bit better. And the guy chasing Steph can, instead of being pushed out towards half court on the screen, can kind of slide back in and try to stymie the roll man. But that leaves somebody bigger for the Warriors against a smaller defender on the switch, and it leaves AD guarding Steph, which you can do because he's Anthony Davis, but I don't think they want to do that the whole game. Lakers might not have a choice, though. The alternative is not working at all. We saw Wiggins pick on smaller defenders. We saw Draymond make terrific plays out of the short roll. We saw Gary Payton make terrific plays out of the short roll. Um, folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. We'll see. We'll see what the Lakers opt to go with in this one. But you've got to figure that they've now kind of seen what the Warriors want to do. They've had almost like two full games to figure out what they want to do with it. And then offensively, you'd like to see the Lakers get to the bucket more Presumably, they'll get a few more calls on their home court. Anyway, total is at 220. It's been dropping precipitously. Opened at 224 and just keeps on coming down. The game in Golden State, I think, was at 220. Closed at 223, ended up going over. It started at 226. That one was coming down as well. I'd be pretty surprised if the Warriors shot 51% and the Lakers shot 48% in this next ball game. That one... Teams were making buckets, and so they just sort of had to keep up with one another. I don't think this one's going to be quite that same way. Or at least that's the way I'm thinking. But 220, suddenly that feels pretty damn low. We shall see. I would I would have leaned to the under at 224, but at 220, probably leaving alone and on the side. Ugh. I don't know. I feel like the Warriors keep this thing somewhat tight. So I guess if you're going Warriors, you probably go money line. I don't think the Lakers... If the Lakers win, it seems like it'd be tough for it to be two points or less, but you never know. Early game, Heat-Knicks. Heat missed their chance to close that out on the road. Knicks did everything to stay alive in that ball game, including playing Jalen Brunson and Quentin Grimes all 48 minutes. That will take its toll at some point, and that point might be tonight. I would expect the Knicks to have a worse ball game. They're not going to shoot 40 free throws. They're not going to shoot 49% from the field. Uh, I think Miami does close this one out, but they're also asking if Miami can cover six points, and that's a pretty pretty chunky number. Total is 207. Um, 
<clears throat> that's probably a pretty accurate number on the on the total. Slight lean to the under, but no feelings on the side. I do think the Heat close it out, but I don't know if they clear the six points. And then going money line on something like that is a rather poor decision. The uh, other remaining basketball game is Sixers and Celtics. That one is on Sunday. Right now, there's there's nothing tomorrow. Celtics seven-point favorite at home. I think that one's going to be a dogfight. And I think it's going to be extremely low scoring. That total's already down from 205 to 202. Game sevens are painfully low. This last ball game ended at what, 181? No, 191? No, it wasn't 181. Yeah, 181. I I don't know that this next one's going to be super different from that. 190-something feels very reasonable for that that Game 7 on Sunday. And if the Warriors or Lakers go to a Game 7 on Sunday, I would probably take the under on that also. Anyway, that's your uh, playoff recap here as we head into the weekend to look at all the games going on. We don't have any series prices. We will have those by Monday, although I think... Lakers Nuggets would that start on Sunday if the if the Lakers close it out tonight? I forget. Not much rest there. Sheesh. Tough way to make a living. All right. So, let's pivot now into what we were going to talk about on the fantasy front. Oh, I told you guys I had some promo for today. This is the time to do it. Promo number 1. We are looking for uh all sorts of recruits here at sports ethos right now the recruiting pitch is on in full swing we even have a page set up over at sports ethos if folks kind of stumble their way onto that i mentioned that i was going to talk about the podcasts that are losing their hosts this off season it does kind of tug at my heartstrings a little bit because a few of these guys have been with us for a few years the great lyle swithenbank of the pelicans podcast is moving on our good buddy Uh, Brad Harden of the Hawks podcast also moving on. Those guys have been with Ethos for a couple of years, um, so that'll be sad to see them go. But we are looking for replacement hosts for a Pelicans and Hawks show that already have a built-in audience. Pretty cool spot to just kind of drop into. If you're looking to get into the podcast space, that would be a great way to do it, and those are the teams that you are interested in. Also, Brooklyn Nets show, which has had a couple different hosts, uh, most recently Cody and his... uh, Band of wacky Nets fans. Love those guys. They were here for a year and change. Uh, So the Nets show, which also has a really good built-in audience, that's looking for a new host. And the one that's getting the most response so far is our fantasy NFL show. J.P. Sticko has moved on. He's moving into the self-help space. So we wish J.P. all the best. But we're looking for a new host. We already have uh, quite a few applicants, actually, on that front. But if NFL is your thing, fantasy NFL is your thing, and you're ready to grind out some awesome episodes all year long, let me know. At Dan Bespris over on Twitter is the best way to get me. Of course, you can also email into roster at sportsethos.com. And by the way, if you want to cover another team, you can hit me up about that as well. I just threw these out there because these already have audiences and you wouldn't be building it up from zero. Also, the wager pass continues to rock strong through the playoffs. Those guys are... are kicking butt and taking names. You also got uh, tennis plays mixed in there, basketball props, all sorts of good stuff in the wager pass, and you can get it for 75% off the first month with promo code ABSURD, A-B-S-U-R-D. That promo is still running. We decided to stretch it through the NBA playoffs uh, because then it'll roll into baseball. We've got that going on in the wager pass as well, 
And then before you know it, it'll be football. We got stuff all year long. Football, college football, basketball, college basketball, baseball, tennis, uh, UFC. I'm forgetting some stuff. I AFL is in there. Wager pass is sweet. 75% off with coupon code absurd on the first month. We're so confident you'll like it that you will keep it rolling in perpetuity. Let's talk about fantasy sports now at long last. So last time we were discussing Yahoo's pre or X ranks or whatever you want to call it. We got to what I thought was kind of an interesting breakpoint because it brought new chunks of picks into view. Previously, we had separated the draft into three chunks. There was the extremely early picks. Well, I mean, even you, you could even call it four, I guess. But I don't know that they were the four most accurate. There were the extremely early picks, which is basically like the first round and then trickling into the, into the early or middle second round. The next chunk, historically, has been the guys that everybody wants to be second rounders that aren't really second rounders. The chunk after that tends to be the all underdrafted group. And then you get into sort of whatever this like no man's land thing is. But when the hell did we do that? Two, three days ago? Whenever we did our last... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which day we did it because it's the freaking off season. But whenever we did our last episode on Yahoo's X ranks, which I think was Tuesday, we talked about some of the other lessons here in really the top 40 range on these names. And that was, you've got the early ones, which... Yahoo did a much better job on this year than they had during sort of this COVID era. And there was a lot of player movement and stuff like that. But overall, this year was a pretty successful one for the very early picks. It was a relatively successful year, even for the pre-ranks, even through the top 25. There wasn't that precipitous drop-off at the end of the second round this year that we saw in the previous one or two seasons. This year, that kind of held off a little bit. But what didn't change season over season is that once you get through the second round, which for us here, we were talking about really like pick 25. And I know the second round is only 24 picks. You don't have to tell me that. But in this particular draft, it was really through Donovan Mitchell at um, pre-rank 25. Things were pretty darn accurate. And then almost as if the person creating this list was just like, Bob, I've had enough fun with taking the obvious route. Let's get a little wild and woolly. And at pick 26, we got into that area that I think I called on Tuesday's show the hit or miss range, which is my favorite every year. That's where the old man squad carves out the center of the melon. We ball it. We melon ball this one. We get none of the exterior and all of the sugary middle. Because this is where all of the, I think this guy is making the leap players end up. Every year, it's the same damn thing. Because nobody wants to take that shot in the first or second round, but everybody's willing to take that shot in the third and fourth. So pick 25 through, this year it, it was about pick 45. Uh, a little bit past that, I guess. 
it was more like pick 50-ish. So I guess it really was like the third and fourth rounds. You had the will they or won't they guys. Will Cade Cunningham take the jump? Will John Morant make a jump? Will Darius Garland make the jump? Will Zion make the health jump? Scotty Barnes, will he make the jump? Will Tyrese Maxey make a jump? I think Tyrese was actually number 50. But then blended in with all of that stuff, you had this uh, other half, which is basically the old man squad, plus some other guys. Because sometimes sometimes those uh, jump dudes do actually make a a little bit of a leap. So I don't want to ace them out completely. But the guys in that range that were hits of medium size or larger were Jimmy Butler at 29. He jumped a round and a half. It's weird to say Chris Paul because he missed a lot of games on the total side, but he actually did beat his ADP on a per-game basis. Vooch beat his ADP. Drew Holiday beat his ADP. Kristaps Porzingis spanked his ADP. Shea, who he fell because of injury, but spanked his ADP. Desmond Bain, per game, beat his ADP. Jared Allen beat his ADP. I know, you heard a lot of pretty boring names in there. Shea was the one I think you could argue wasn't really a boring name. And yeah, there were some old guys that didn't hit there. Oh, Miles Turner, by the way, also beat his ADP. Missed a bunch of games down the stretch, but per game, beat his ADP. Old man types that did not in that range, uh, Terry Rozier is the, the glaring example of the boring old man guy that didn't beat his ADP. And you could say Rudy Gobert, but he wasn't an old man squad guy this year. We did that recap already during this part of the offseason. Rudy Gobert wasn't on there because Cat came to town. We knew it was going to be a weird season for him. We didn't know exactly how weird, but we knew it was going to be weird. And then there's the guys in there that are just like, they did fine. Like DeMar DeRozan, he was fine. You want to call him an old man squad guy? That's fine. He was basically right on his ADP. Zach Levine missed it by a little bit. He was fine. Oh, Evan Mobley was another will he take the next leap type of dude. Forgot he was in there. Jalen Brown, he was a, he did fine. DeAndre Ayton was in there. He was sort of fine. Pascal Siakam was kind of fine. That's almost every name in that area, by the way. Almost read off all 25 of them. But you guys get the picture. And this is not a unique phenomenon to this season. That 25, or I mean, it's somewhere near there. It's not always right at 25 because last year you had that atrocious end of the second round, which is like, why is Russell Westbrook going here? And then Michael Porter Jr. blew his back out and Julius Randle was awful. So it started a tiny bit later last season. It was more like ADP guy number 29 last year where the good stuff started to kick in a little bit better, where you got more into the will they, won't they. So I think what we're calling that section is the hit or miss. And I think what you can also do is, again, comparing to last season, where we were trying to figure out, is this end of the second round going to stay as a problematic area because we've seen this happen before. In fact, two years ago, that was the, that wasn't the COVID year. That was the 72 game season. It was actually the, the end of the second beginning of the third was a stretch where everybody stunk. John Collins was bad. Russ was bad. Donovan Mitchell 
way underperformed that year. Ben Simmons clunked it. Ja was in there. He clunked it. Aiton was drafted late second, and he clunked it. That was 2020-2021. If you go all the way back to 2019, the actual first COVID year, uh, the ranks were more like this season, which is interesting to note that maybe this is kind of like a return to some sort of handicapping normalcy. But there was concern, I had concern at least, that what we saw the last two seasons in Yahoo pre-ranks compared to ADPs, compared to actual end-of-season ranks, I was concerned that the end of the second round was just going to stay a problem zone because that was where some of the will-they-take-the-leap guys were getting pushed to. But this year, those guys got moved back down the board a little bit. You know, top 25, I would argue, didn't have a single question mark type. Question mark type being someone like a Cade Cunningham, where he was number 90 the previous year, but then he was getting drafted in the late 20s because it was like, okay, it's leap time. There was basically nobody in front of him. Top 25 this year, I don't think had a single player where people drafting it were like, oh, this is the year he jumps X number of slots. The closest thing you could say would have been Halliburton, but remember, once he went to Indiana, he was a late, or sorry, a mid-second rounder anyway. So he had already had that in the portfolio. The top 25, Jokic, Embiid, Durant, Giannis, I know Giannis, punt stuff, but whatever, let's just skip that for now. Luka, Steph, Tatum, Harden, Cat, Halliburton, Dame, LaMelo, Kyrie, Trey Young, who, yeah, underperformed, but he was number 10 the previous year. Booker, who was like around 20. AD, DeJounte Murray, LeBron, Paul George, Freddie Van Vliet, Anthony Edwards, Bam Adebayo, Demonis Sabonis. Closest thing in that whole list to guy that folks thought would take another leap would be Anthony Edwards, who was getting drafted around 2021, but had never really put together a stretch that was that high before. Typically more late 30s, early 40s. And that is where he finished at 37, so he didn't make that jump up the board. But he's also super durable, so you kind of covered yourself a little bit on that front, where, you know, Ant finished by totals right around his actual ADP. But it was kind of nice now to see things return to the way they were 2016, 17, 18, 19. I'm just looking at the years where we had this podcast going and I was doing these analyses. 16, 17, 18, 19, all of those years, the top 25 was pretty safe. Yeah, there were some small hits and misses. There's often a medium hit or miss in there. Trey Young would be the medium per game miss, at least the nine cat. But it wasn't that the last two seasons where there was just a, a brutal like seven eight player chunk late second round where you were like i legitimately don't know what i should be doing here should i just go take somebody that's going late third and say screw it because i don't like these guys the answer was yes for two years but this year the answer was no this year it went back to our old way of drafting which is top 25 relatively safe you take the guys that you feel have the best chance at upside in there and hopefully won't be injured the entire season. And then 25 through something, 26 through something or 27 through something, something in that neck of the woods, through 45 to 50 is where the old man pocket always exists. 
For a couple of years, it started later. It started closer to 30 to 32 and ran through f- the early 50s. But this year, it bumped back a little bit earlier. Maybe I should say it bumped up the board. It's hard to use up, back, or down when you're talking about draft position because better is lower. But you guys know what I mean. Okay, so if that's where we're at with this kind of top 45, 50 range, what does that mean for no man's land? Well, where I think we now have adjusted, and I forget what I called it on Tuesday's show, but there's very much a group of players between the end of the will they, won't they, that is more of the decent expectations group. It's not a total free-for-all because these guys have pedigree. They have guaranteed playing time and usage. But you're kind of debating between whether or not you think it lands. So I think we can probably call the 50 through something, and we haven't gotten to that point yet quite on this analysis, The and, and that's for this year, by the way, that's the will-they-land-the-ship chunk, which you might argue started a Tyrese Maxey pick 50 this year. Will Tyrese Maxey land the ship? We know he's going to get significant playing time, but, you know, Harden now with a full offseason, more control over the offense. Tobias settling in a little bit more. You knew Embiid was going to get all of his stuff, and the answer was not really for Maxey. He's been better in the postseason than he was in the regular season. And then Michael Porter Jr. coming back from injury. Will he land the ship? Not really. C.J. McCollum with what was likely to be a healthier Pelicans team. Didn't really turn out to be healthy, but will he land the ship? Nope. Brandon Ingram? Nope. Chris Middleton? Well, we all got tricked when the Bucks said he was fine, and then two days before the season started said, oh, by the way, he's not going to be ready for opening day. Fast forward six weeks. Anyway, he didn't land the ship. Did John Collins land the ship? Nope. Did OG Ananobi land the ship? Yeah, he did. Devin Vassell? He was, until they basically shut him down. Mikael Bridges? Yep, landed it. Clay Thompson? Yep, landed it. Josh Giddy? Nope, not a nine-cat. Jonas Valanciunas? Nope. Jalen Green? Yikes. Shengun? Not per game. He was healthy, at least. Jakob Pertl? He was a no for a while, and then he turned into a yes. Jamal Murray? Yep. Jalen Brunson? Yep. Keldon Johnson? Nope. Jordan Poole? Nope. Julius Randle? Yep. Franz Wagner? Nah. Draymond? Nah. D'Angelo Russell? Yeah, sorta. Jabari Smith II? Nope. Al Horford? Yep. Wendell Carter Jr.? No. Ben Simmons? God, no. Tyler Hero? Yes. Herb Jones? Eh, not really. Markinen? Hell yeah. Marcus Smart? Nah. Jeremy Grant? Sorta. And that might actually be the end of the will they land they ship which by the way longer than expected longer than expected and you'd be like oh dan there were like four or five really large misses in there yeah but the thing that i'm looking at with this stuff with the will they land the ship group is not about how big or small the hits and misses are it's about how far we can work down the board while still feeling confident that a player is going to have the role that we believe in. 
That is to say, for every one of the names that I just read, with the possible exceptions, I guess there's like maybe two exceptions in there. Uh, no, probably one. Herb Jones is probably the only player on that whole list that I just read off where you could be like, yeah, but we don't even really know if he's going to play a lot. Because if the Pels were healthy, I still don't know how much Herb would have played this year. But everybody else on that list, every name that I just read, I would argue, came into this season where we could say, yeah, this guy's going to play like 27 minutes or more, and he's going to be featured somehow in this team's offense. There are other parts of the handicap. Like, you guys know I wanted nothing to do with Valanchunas this year because I thought Zion would knock him off his peg, and and that was definitely happening, and he never really bounced his way back. Um, But forgetting all of the other handicap stuff, this is just about this particular chunk of players. And, by the way, that's reflected in our running last five and last ten. At pick 49, which was Jared Allen... The running, the running last 10 for absolute value was 22. So an average miss size of 22, which is still like pretty good in size. But overall, you're still talking under two rounds of space. By the end of the next 10, it's 33. By the end of the next 10, it's 46. And by the time you get past, here's the thing. I shouldn't even say it's 46. It's 46 briefly because Keldon Johnson kind of screwed it up. But then it actually comes back down into the 20s by Herb Jones, oddly enough. Because the miss, they, they, the, the hits become a little bit more frequent or the misses get much smaller. So it's not about necessarily looking at exactly the last 10, every 10 picks. You have to look at the way that thing fluctuates. It bounces between... 20, like we said, 22 at Jared Allen, it gets as high as 46, 47, comes back down, gets to 28 at Herb Jones and that Tyler Hero mix. And then all of a sudden, you get past Jeremy Grant, and you get to Jalen Smith. And at that point, it stays, the average miss size over the last 10 gets as high as 63 and stays higher than 45 for about 20 picks in a row. And then all of a sudden you get a few that happen to land, and so that last 10 number comes down a little bit. But again, it's about understanding how fast this last 10 changes. And also, it's about looking at the players involved. And it's worth noting that, like, you know, Trey Jones was a hit, technically, uh, but average miss size no longer is really telling us what we want to know. We want it to be mostly misses in the positive direction. So at this point, it might even be more worthwhile to look and see what is the non-absolute value average. And I believe the most interesting thing we can look at here is what type of player exists in this range. Now, what I should have done is gone deeper than the top 100 for this discussion. But if you're looking at past pick 81, sorry, Jeremy Grant was 81, Jalen Smith is the next one. We didn't know that he was going to be locked in all year. There was a big question mark there. Nurk. Sure, you could argue that he had the starting job, and but dude hasn't played full starters minutes in multiple seasons now. Tobias Harris was a big question mark. Figured he was going to play, but he didn't do anything the second half of last year. Keegan Murray. We didn't know how much he was going to play or what he was going to do. Colin Sexton on a team that might be tanking. Christian Wood. We already knew he was coming off the bench. 
Paolo Boncaro, figured he was going to get a lot to do, but, you know, rookie stuff. Anthony Simons, he was probably one that could have gone a little earlier just because his role was relatively secure. Gary Trent Jr., we didn't know what he was going to be in Toronto with that team coming into the season healthy. And he started the year very poorly. Got going after guys got hurt. Sadiq Bey, didn't really know what his role was going to be. But he healed. This was a misnomer. He should not have been down here. You knew his role was going to be pretty solid. Maybe the thought was that Indy would tank early, but he was way better than 90 range. But P.J. Washington, unclear what his role was going to be. Kevin Porter Jr., he's down here because of stat set issues. Gordon Hayward, Trey Jones, Andrew Wiggins, Kyle Lowry, the Time Lord who was going to miss half the season, Harrison Barnes. I just look at these guys, and you compare them to like a Jalen Brunson who was in that previous chunk of players, and you say, okay, well, I think I can make a decent case that some of these guys are going to play, but I don't know what my case is going to be for them actually getting to do stuff. And then some of them you can say, well, I can make a case for they're going to get to do stuff, but I don't know how much they're going to play. And that is kind of where No Man's Land kicks in. Maybe not a perfect label for this group, because some of these guys, and if you went past the top 100, you get into sort of murkier and murkier territory. But the thing that I believe ties this last, and it's not even this last 20, it's basically from pick 80 to like pick 130. Those players, in my estimation, are all relatively similar, and you're grabbing the guys in that group that you feel like belong in the previous 20. Does that make sense? We talked in circles a tiny bit there, but I I want that last point to be the one that really sticks. It's not about the fact that nobody in the 80 through 130 range has the likelihood of playing time and usage and security. It's that you have to decide which ones they are. They're not all those guys. The previous 20, you're, you're deciding whether or not the other stuff, you know, fit, role, whatever, you're deciding whether that makes sense. This group, no man's land, as we've called it for a number of years on the podcast, this group, you're deciding whether or not they actually fit the two criteria we listed for the previous 20. So Jalen Smith, we thought maybe, but no, no security. Nurk, nope. Tobias Harris, eh, no. I didn't believe he was going to get to do much. He wasn't on my board this year. Keegan Murray, I didn't think there was going to be security. As it turns out, stat set was sort of the thing that limited. Colin Sexton, yeah, I mean, you probably could have made an argument that there was going to be playing time and security, and then he got hurt, so that kind of derailed quickly. But would that one have worked if he was healthy? Hard to know. Christian Wood, no. Boncaro, I mean, yes, but the other stuff was a big question mark. Simons would one you could point at and say, yeah, he's probably going to get playing time and security. And he basically did, and he put up huge numbers when Dame missed ball games. His numbers were not very good when Dame was in there, but it leveled off to what was effectively, like, near his ADP. Gary Trent Jr., I thought that there would probably be some playing time and security, and that one did end up panning out. Bay, I didn't trust. Healed, that was one where you could point and say, yes, he belongs in the previous 20. P.J. Washington, you could probably argue he belonged in the previous 20, but there were always stat set issues there. Kevin Porter, that's a more obvious one. If you believed that his free throw number was going to be better, then you could certainly argue that he belonged in the previous group. Hayward, nah. Trey Jones, eh. Wiggins. I mean, yes, I guess. His 
personal stuff kind of took him out. But at pick 99, sure. Because you knew he was going to get to play and do stuff. Warriors needed him. Kyle Lowry, no. Time Lord, hurt. Barnes, he was going to play, but you knew he wasn't going to get to do stuff. So to me, that's what makes no man's land no man's land. The onus now falls on us as fantasy drafters to figure out which of these guys passed pick 80, and it might not be pick 80 next year. It, we've seen it go as early as 65 or 70. We've seen it go as late as basically this year. Like, 80 is about when that happens. But that's when you're starting to pick through the pile and say, which of these guys do I trust is going to have job security and get to do stuff with it? Because basically everybody before pick 80 has both of those things, and you're handicapping, okay, what stuff are they going to do with it? Is it going to be good enough? Is Marcus Smart going to actually do enough with his stuff? Is Franz Wagner going to get to do enough with his stuff? After pick 80, you don't worry as much about that. You just worry about getting the guy in there that's going to have a chance at it. Those are the guys that hit in that range. Simplify the game. Simplify the game. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see if anybody's... Who's standing? Conference finals coming up on the other side as we roll into week six of our fantasy offseason. I'm going to go cry into my pillow about having to schedule a colonoscopy. Say nice things for me, everyone. Think good thoughts. Uh, I am Dan Baspers for Fantasy NBA Today. Talking about a butt, apparently, on today's show. Have a great weekend. We'll see you guys Monday. What's wrong with me?